Okay, so you're kind of asking me, in a sense, to disprove something by turning over every rock in the universe to see if it's right, there. Yeah, and, I, and I simply so just roll it into the after show. <laughs> no. Tom will solve every problem in the after show. Just sign up to be an elite. Baby. There you go. <laughs> Welcome back and happy 2024. I'm Daniel Fox. You're listening to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. I'm here with my great friend Thomas Balsamo. And how are you doing? I'm okay. A lot better than the last time we recorded. <laughs> yes, uh, I remember. <laughs> yeah. That's, no. that's good. And just before we began um, recording, I I, I was confused about the time zone, so I was ready an hour early, and Tom was busy uh, steam-bending wood. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, that's correct. <laughs> yep. So the, uh, uh, the final piece for my Windsor chair. All right. So making his own chair. It cracked. The <laughs> oh, did it? <laughs> the oh. piece cracked. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. No. But that's just how it is sometimes. Yeah. Um, it's a tough uh, process there. Yeah. Wow. Well, I want to thank our patrons who uh, support this podcast. Thank you really so much for your investment in what we do here. I'm glad that it's a blessing and hope that it can be shared with a number of others as well, and that it encourages you to, to think and to ask questions, real questions, and look for answers, um, and not always have to have the answers and be comfortable with that, but uh, be on a pursuit of them. Um, uh, I want to thank our patrons who have uh, signed up over at patreon.com slash reason together. And um, for, <laughs> boy, I feel like I'm just like, yeah, I'm like, I don't know. I like, I'm a, like, a, I'm a manual who's having trouble getting in the fifth year. Focus. <laughs> Focus. Okay. <laughs> let me, let me try that again. Patrons. Thank you so much for signing up at patreon.com slash reason together. And if you're interested in uh, joining them in support uh, of what we do here, please feel free to go to patreon.com slash reason together. Sign up for any uh, any level of support there. But we're just glad that you're here to listen as well. And we want you to know we, we genuinely like uh, your questions, uh, your, your thoughts. Uh, and that is if it's thoughtful, if you're just out to sort of like, uh, you know, smear us in the ground or whatever. Uh, then okay, but uh, if you have if you have a you have questions, you say, hey, I thought of something else. You've never discussed this, or or this was on my mind recently, or boy, I have I have a different take about what you guys were talking about. We want to hear it, and you can just uh, shoot us a quick email at reasontogetherpodcast at gmail .com. That's reasontogetherpodcast at gmail .com. Mm -hmm. Um Also, you can leave us a review if you'd like to do that. That would help us out. Um, Preferably, if you're listening on like uh, Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a review there. And what was formerly iTunes, you can do that. Um, if if we've earned a five star review, that'd be great. <laughs> but mm -hmm. only if we've earned it, uh, then that would certainly help us out. Yeah, um, I've got uh, uh, kind of talking about feedback. We've got on our list of questions here a number from James, which I just think are really good. Not for sure how long they'll take, uh, but I'd just kind of like to dive into these today. But you've got I, I just re Yeah, I just yeah. remembered one more thing, kind of a preliminary. Uh, in, in case you did not know this as a listener, we have an email list 
uh, that you can subscribe to and it will send you emails every time there's a new episode out. Just one email for one episode. You're not going to get like a bunch of emails all the time. But if you sign up for our email list, you'll get an email when there's a new episode out. And that email will contain all sorts of uh, interesting links and information to different things on our website. Um, you can do that over at our site on reasontogether.fm. Uh, that also helps in a way kind of help us past the algorithms. And I, I, I don't, we're, we're a small fish in a big pond uh, oh, on yeah. the internet. We're not yeah. a massively popular podcast. I know listeners, I'm sorry to disappoint you. We're not <laughs> massively popular. However, depending on the content you are putting out, the metadata that's included in there, uh, Facebook doesn't give respect to some things like it does to others. And a lot of our information has very uh, Christian slash conservative uh, uh, sort of metadata involved. Mm -hmm. So you might follow us on Facebook and never actually see when we have a new post. Because it will just get buried by the algorithm somewhere sure. down in your feed and you'll never get it. And I suspect that that is happening. Not that we're being specifically targeted, just the things we put out there on the on the internet are generally targeted for the bottom of the list. So if you want to overcome all of that and make sure you're seeing our content as it comes out, go over to reasontogether.fm and sign up for the email list and our stuff will get right to you when it comes out. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, yeah, because if it gets buried under, you know, uh, you're you're the typical Facebook person, and you got 732 friends, you know, and you've seen five of them in the last month, and uh, but but we're somewhere down under like your third cousin's uh, picture of their new dog's collar and stuff like or that. their lunch. Yeah, uh, or and, their lunch. And additionally, if you want to help us out with the Facebook algorithm as well. You can do that by liking our content as soon as as soon as it does come out. Um, so if you're really intent on sticking with Facebook, when you see a new post from us, if you see it, click the thumbs up thing on that or, or leave a comment or something. The more people do that, the more it will overcome Facebook's algorithm and kind of bring it up to where our, our other listeners and followers will actually see it. So um, I know that's a big ask to ask. Uh, independent Baptist folks to <laughs> interact with social media posts, but uh, I get it. I get it. So, but if you want to help in that way, you can anyway, enough of the uh, preliminary things. I think we're, we're uh, about done with that. <laughs> all right. Uh, James, I want to just thank you in advance for all of the, the uh, good questions as well as your support. And let me throw this one out to you. Um, the first one here says, at what point, if any, should someone's love be considered insincere if it is motivated by a reward? If a child obeys his parents so he won't be punished, is he obeying for a wrong reason? Let me just stop right there, that half of the question. If a child obeys his parents so he won't be punished, is he obeying for the wrong reason? <clears throat> okay, so my, my hot take on this is going to be basically that there is no such thing as obedience without the desire for some kind of reward. And the I, I, I just have to say my, my mind is like going, it's like veering off to the left because you said hot take. And I'm just like, like that's one of those um, uh, words in the English language that has more recently become something different. Like, have you ever heard somebody say it's been a hot minute? 
Yeah. That's been a hot minute. Like what in the world <laughs> does, how does hot describe that? Okay. So you're just saying a hot no take is like, like fresh off. <laughs> like, <laughs> off like a, press. yeah, a gut response. Okay. I'm, All right. So hot like, take. go ahead. So, tell me again. So the, there's always <laughs> going to be an incentive for obedience and it might be something as simple as avoiding terrible consequences. It might be something like getting something in return. It might be something like hearing Jesus say, well done at the judgment seat of Christ, mm-hmm. um, or a crown of glory, right? There's all sorts of things that a reward could be. It doesn't necessarily have to be something intrinsic, but anytime you obey, you're doing it for something that you believe benefits you. Does that make sense? Yes, something that uh, you perceive as positive anyway. You know, some people might say, no, I just do it because it's the right thing to do. But yeah, I suppose, but you get that sense of satisfaction, the feeling that I am doing right and that I'm being pleasing to the Lord or something. There's still a. Right, but what's the incentive? Kickback. What's the incentive of being right, right? There's always an incentive of being right. So you say, mm-hmm. I just do it because it's right. Okay, well, what's the incentive of being right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's always incentives. So, so I don't think it right, shows a right. lack of love. In fact, I think the the I think you'll find a number of places in the Bible where our future reward at the judgment seat is presented as a motivation for what we do in the name of Christ. Um, so, so the Lord Himself is not without presenting incentive for service. And properly motivated service, I should say. Yeah, I mean, I I would agree with what you're saying that um, we might say you shouldn't do it for a reward, but um, but the Bible speaks of rewards, and um, so how can how can we sidestep that? Um, if a child obeys his parents so he won't be punished, is he obeying for a wrong reason? No, um, not really. Especially especially in the younger years, there has to be. There has to be a, a point where you're building into him a, a structure and an understanding of right and wrong. And wrong in life always brings some level of destruction or decay. And, and so you're just helping to enforce that through various quote-unquote punishments, if you will. But you're just developing a structure. You're, you're showing him where the guidelines are. Um, and so, so is it wrong for him to do that? No. Now, eventually, of course, you want to develop in him a maturity. And that's where maybe the second half of the question goes. How do we as parents bridge the gap with young children who are highly motivated by a reward system to growing up as adults and doing things that are hard when they don't have a reward attached? I think yeah. you've already addressed that, that everything has a reward attached. Mm-hmm. Um, to and, some extent. It, Yes, and it has to, I think it's the maturing of the perspective as to what is a qualifiable reward. Yeah. What What yeah. is worthy of living for and acting for? Is it a piece of candy? Is it a lack of punishment? Or is it an in it, is it a, a growing innate sense of righteousness and, and, and a desire to please the yeah. Lord and to benefit other people? Yeah, and there's really no short answer to this question of how you teach your children to essentially, and there's different ways we say this, to make your religion their own, right? Or for God to become real in their life. There's different phrases we've given this, but the the basic idea is this, that at a certain point, 
you have modeled to your children that visible, tangible, intrinsic rewards are not the only rewards that we live for, and they must see your faith in an invisible reward. Otherwise, they will have no faith to develop in a in an invisible reward. And by invisible, I just mean future. Someday when we will <laughs> yeah, be good, with the good. Lord, we will be rewarded. And for a person to have to live in such a way now that they are storing up reward for a time that they haven't been to yet, a place that they've never seen with their eyes to be with a God they have, they have never physically interacted with, right? That takes a degree of faith in, in children. And I think the only way for them to develop that kind of faith in future reward is to, one, see you model it in your own decisions, and second, hear the word of God enough themselves that they see its fruit, right? So they have to see enough of the wisdom of Scripture lived out in order to see that there is a benefit to living out scripture. If someone if someone's life is not filled richly with the word of God, how do you expect your children to see the reward of living out scripture? So it, I, there needs to be scripture-filled homes. Uh, and, and it has to be on your lips when, when you talk of it, you know, by the way, and you talk in the morning and in the afternoon and in the evening where scripture is always kind of... Uh, a part of your family's conversations. The more they hear that, the more they will see it lived out, the more they will see the results of that, and it will develop in them faith for a future reward they've not seen yet. I would I would draw it back to two things. Number one, it's got to be real to you. That is, mm-hmm. the, the, the Christian life, the, the, the pursuit of Christ has to be real to you. Uh, that's the first step. And then you have to help make it real to them. Um, and to go to, is it Romans ten seventeen? faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And of course, the concept of faith, when you're, when you're seeing the firmness or recognizing the firmness of something, um, that's found in, in the person of God and in the scriptures. And so as you can keep building that foundation into them and saying, hey, look, God is firm here and God is firm there, you can trust him um, and making it making it real and genuine to them. I just um, have been reading in and, and really coming to enjoy the further I got into the book, uh, a book by Michael Reeves called Rejoicing in Christ. And, um, and, and that just makes me think, wow, if my kids could, could see Christ this way and understand our identity in him and what we have, that kind of thing that would stir a child and build uh, their faith framework um, to, to give them a direction and a purpose and, um, and, and a proper self-identity and those things like that. But that's, that's a, just a matter of, if you will, education. But, but by education, I mean more than memorize these verses, uh, go to church, you know, learn the facts. No, yeah. see the sincerity and the genuineness we have. This is real. This is worth investing our life in. So, yeah. Question um, two. Yeah, there's rewards. There. That's good. Um, would you describe God as more goal oriented or process oriented? Goal oriented or process oriented? Okay. Um, well, you, you know how on this podcast we hate to be put into boxes where we only get two choices. Um, but you know, James has given us two choices here: is God goal oriented or process oriented? I don't know about the latter, but the former 
I, I may have a thought on only because what does it mean to be goal oriented? It means you have something in the future that you've set in mind, right? And you do things in order to make that come to pass, right? But from the human perspective, there is the possibility you might not reach your goal. So it affects your process. The question is, does God ever set a goal that does not get reached? Does God ever not get what he wants? Because the answer to that question would really determine whether or not you could say he's goal oriented. Um, Whereas when you talk about process oriented, I think you're kind of talking about something that's very similar um, to being goal oriented. Because, you know, what do you do when you have a goal? Well, you set processes. They're kind of, they coincide. But I was thinking about Ephesians 1.11, where it says about uh, God, uh, in, whom all, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose, and, and, and I'm getting to the second half of the verse here as the more important part for this discussion, according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will. So I see both goal-oriented and process-oriented there. He worketh all things. That's being process-oriented. And the counsel of his will, that is goal-orientation. His will has set goals, and and yet he works out processes. And the interesting word here is all, all things. He works all all things according to the counsel of his will. And, you know, the old saying is all means all, and that's all all means. (laughs) All things are worked out according to the purpose of God. That doesn't exclude anything. That's, that includes everything. Um, So, so yeah, I would say at least according to this verse, there is both goal orientation and process orientation, but there is never the chance that God, God's goals are not reached. (laughs) If I could say it that way. He doesn't, he doesn't come in short. He doesn't fail. All right. My answer is three things. Um, number one, it's interesting, the time bound nature of the question, um, because goals and processes deal with, with our, our thought processes as humans of everything being in time. So what steps do I take in time to accomplish a goal in the future? Well, God is not bound by time. So I think it kind of changes the um the issue with him number two uh god is perfect balance of everything so uh when we say when we say things jesus is the master teacher or what personality did he have or what spiritual gift was he given well (laughs) we always know that he he's the best of everything he's 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 all of everything good balanced and, and he's the definer of those things he's the example he's the template so um, so to say, is he this or this meaning, um, you know, to, to try to dichotomize him between two, maybe we would say equally good things or two different ways of doing things. I don't know that we could actually do that. But lastly, I would basically just say this. My answer is he's righteousness oriented, um, being outside of time and being who he is. He always exists in every moment, uh, doing, being, um, acting in the best way. So, um, so he, you know, again, he's, he's the perfect balance. I, I don't think we can say, well, I happen to be more process oriented and God is more like me. Well, okay. That whoa, you know, 
that would be a big problem or to say, I'm more like God, you know, I, I am a Paul, I'm yeah. a Christ, <laughs> that I am this way and right. he's more that way. He, he's the perfect balance. Uh, he's outside of time and he's always doing what's right. Uh, for us as human beings, we have to um, apply both of those things to try to uh, uh, reach appropriate goals using the correct processes um, or righteous processes. So that would be my, my take on it. Good. Okay. All right. Question three. How do you teach a growing believer how to properly exercise boundaries between their marriage and their in-laws and parents? Um, mm. Okay. Yeah, go for it. I, okay. So I'm not going to say this as a hard and fast rule <laughs> because I realize that this can't be done by everyone, but I would say the, the best thing you could do to effectuate this is get away for a while. Um, don't, don't live near them for a while. Um, and I mean a, a good long while. I mean, this is not like, you know, oh, we'll spend, you know, a year or two, you know, away and then we'll come back to mommy and daddy. Um, no, no, I think you need to spend a good long while establishing your family by yourselves. And, 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 and that'll kind of inform how you do things as, as parents, how, how you do things as a husband and wife. And, and then eventually if you want to live back in your family, I think that's great. Um, nothing wrong with that at all. They'll still have you back by that time. <laughs> they'll still have you back, but you have to kind of figure out who you are as a married couple and, and as parents in your own right. Um, and a lot of times that's hard to do when you still live near mom and dad. And, and in some cases, you never really do get on your own two feet. Um, so anyway, my two cents on it. And I realize not everybody can do that. Uh, and and, and I don't, I'm not saying everybody has to do that. I'm just saying it's a really kind of uh, effective way to balance that relationship because um, it forces you to have some, some distance, some amicable distance, if that makes sense. I'm going to say here that I do not claim to be an expert. You know, I wish I could give you the perfect scenario, somebody sitting down in my office, what to say. So I'm sort of, I'm shooting from the hip here and I, we would probably answer more uh, if we, if we thought about it over time and, uh, and discussed it more. But I guess here would be a few things that I would think of. How do you teach a growing believer how to properly exercise boundaries between their marriage and their in-laws and parents? Well, number one, you you just obviously the answer is in scripture, and it's in a proper understanding of life from scripture. So you have to understand first of all what is your role as a husband, as the leader, um, as the you know the one who's who's set it you know charting the course here, and the guy who's you know the buck stops with you. You've got to make decisions at some point. It may be difficult for you. That may not be your personality. But you've got to make you've got to make some decisions along the way. You can't uh, you can't let everybody else make your decisions for you, or else you're never going to set those boundaries. Um, and so then I would say you have to you know recognize just not your role, but but the value of your wife. And if you're seeing, uh, and, and this could go obviously different ways. What is the stress on the marriage because of the parents or the in laws? Is the is the wife loving it and that she's with, you know, mom 12 hours a day, or is she really mm -hmm. stressed because your parents are always over and telling you what to do, or they're always horning in and trying to give advice, you know, what, what, which way is the stress coming? What's happening exactly. But, 
my thought is if, if your wife is stressed and she's communicating that to you, or if she's not, and you just see it, you've got to value that relationship um, as it is scripturally that you, you've, you've left mom and dad and created your own home. And now this person is one with you and it's your responsibility to, to work for and even fight for, if you will, not that yeah. a fight has to be a part of it, but f- to fight for the integrity of this home and for the safety and, and the, the environment, the proper environment of your home. So if you understand those, then the next thing uh, to me has to be communication. In some way, you have to communicate. Um, there may be uh, more or less subtle ways to do it, certain ways that may be nonverbal or just strategic or uh, how you navigate certain, uh, you know, invitations or situations or schedule arrangements. But but at some point, even just communicating uh, mom, dad, you know, and you could use that term for your parents or your in-laws, your mom, dad, we, uh, you know, we're, we're, we won't be able to meet them. We're busy or I would appreciate your, your looking out for us, but, um, but we're gonna, we've decided to do that or something, but obviously you have to be respectful, um, Mm -hmm. and trying to be genuine with them. You're not trying to be mean or coarse or harsh, but you're just trying to, to gently yet firmly lay down that, that we need these boundaries and I love you. And I, I trust that you'll respect and love me enough to let me stand on my own two feet as a husband and make this decision. When I ask your advice, you know, I I recognize that I'm young and I need your advice, but please let me ask for it first. But, you know, whatever, somehow communicate whatever that stress is without throwing your wife under the bus. Don't say, you know, she really bothered by you being over here. Don't say that. Just say, you know, we just need some alone time. We've really been around people a lot. We just need some time alone. Um, why don't we meet, you know, next Saturday for a coffee or something, but give you a week. Just yeah, just some small suggestions. Sure. Yeah. And, it, and it's all largely dependent on both, you know, both sure. in-laws and parents cooperating under the same goal. Um, you know, understanding the meaning of leave and cleave is not always a physical move, but more of a mindset shift. Mm-hmm. Um, and as long as both parties can understand that, I think, you know, it can be amicable to have some degree of separation there. Uh, otherwise, it's confusing for the kids because sometimes they don't know who to listen to when in-laws are around along with mm-hmm. parents. Mm-hmm. You know, well, well, mommy, daddy said I can't have that, but grandma said it's okay. Well, now you have a problem. Um, How does the child navigate knowing who's really the one I'm supposed to obey? You know, so there are, there are inherent challenges in all of that, because not only do you have to be clear with the child, what this hierarchy is like, but you do have to communicate that to grandma and grandpa that, Hey, listen, I'm trying to teach, teach him how to obey parents and that the parents are really the primary obedient relationship in his young life right now. Um, if you want him to have something, you, would you please ask me? <laughs> right. right. And, and, and you're not saying, I know that you're not saying, you know, that when you go to visit grandma and grandpa and they give the, your, your baby their first little dish of ice cream and you're like, oh man, I wanted him to wait, but you're not going to make, you're not going to make a big deal about it. You're not going to, you know, hammer it the first time it comes out. But in those scenarios right. where they're always around and they're sort of taking your role on themselves and telling right. the kids what to do, then they're pre- creating this chaos. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in some ways when the kids feel weirdly, and, and maybe this isn't the right way to say it, when they feel just as at home at grandma and grandpa's house as they do in their own house, that to me seems a little strange. 
and 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 by not that you want them to see grandma and grandpa as like um strangers but i i think there needs to be a different set of boundaries at grandma and grandpa's house that this is not like where 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 you live with mommy and daddy uh you know you need to have some 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 degree of respect for their 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 things and 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 not just go wherever you want in their house. You know, you are to some degree a visitor there. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you know, if that, am I making sense? Um, uh, yeah, though I'm not, I don't know that I, I'm thinking, I'm kind of thinking as you're talking too. So, but I mean, I don't know that I would land exactly, but I, I you're just well, saying that. I, I think I'm not really explaining it well, um, honestly, because I, I, what, what I, what I mean is I want, I want my kids to know that their primary relationship is here. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, that other relationships are secondary and maybe I'm just using the wrong illustration or describing it poorly. Um, but I think it's confusing for a kid in some way to feel like relationship with grandma and grandpa and relationship with mom and dad are exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there needs to be something different about it, so that they're con- not confused about who to obey and who to rely on primarily for things. Um, is that making better sense? Yeah, I mean, as much as before, I think. I mean, I get. I, I'm thinking um, of kind of tying this to the first question that we were talking about that I forgot to mention. You know, talk talking about um, your child's. Um, how, how do you mature the child from a, you know, a, a reward-based system to a more mature <laughs> reward-based system? Um, but also it, it comes into play here is, is knowledge, is inputting, is communicating to your kids um, your expectations and the way that they should see things. Well, there's, there's mm-hmm. a word you know, that we see in the English uh, that means with knowledge, right? It's the conscience. It's the training of the conscience of the child. Well, as we input knowledge um, into the child, it, it may mean a conversation before we get out of the car at grandma and grandpa's, you know, or, or, or things that you reinforce and say, I know that she may let you do this, but I want you to ask me first. Mm-hmm. I know that you'll have the opportunity to do this, please exercise self-control. You know, she'll say, sure, whatever snacks you want, you can have them. Now, please, you know what mommy and daddy want, you know, just be wise with it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and you're training the child alongside of it to say, they're going to let you do this. They're going to let you do that. And I'm not going to make it a big issue with them per se. I'm also going to expect some responsibility on your part to, uh, to just use good judgment uh, and understand that, that we are two different homes and they have a different role and relationship to you um as the, right as the what you were talking about there maybe it's just saying they're not the discipliner they're the <laughs> they're the coddler right. and the let you go home <laughs> right yeah and i think you articulated it better than i did so part of me wishes i could retract what i said because <laughs> like, i could say that you said that better like that probably. um yeah no, um, no, yeah, I, I just was trying to communicate that there should be a difference, and I think you articulated the difference that I was thinking of that I couldn't put into words. Okay, so, good. Now, this is a side note. This really wasn't to his question, but I, I made the point, you know, that the grandmas and grandpas are coddlers and they send you home. I wish, though, uh, that that grandparents would see the potential they have as a partner with the parents. Mm-hmm. You've learned now, you've, you've gained some wisdom. You, you got to the end of childbearing years and you thought, oh, I wish I'd have known this 25 years ago. I, I feel like I would have raised better kids. Well, guess what? Now you get to, you get to help with the next generation. So instead mm-hmm. of just 
offering them a bunch of snacks, letting them watch movies and sending them home. Uh, make an intentional investment to disciple your grandchildren and to partner with mom and dad and come alongside of them to really make them what you wish you could have helped your kids become, you know, not saying that you're down yeah. on your kids, but, you know, to just add that extra uh, righteous um, uh, investment there, you know? Right. And that stands in direct contradistinction to the often trope, uh, the, the often seen trope of grandparents that that's the place where kids go to, you know, live a little, get away from mom and dad and go <laughs> sow their wild oats and have more freedoms and liberties than they usually have and go wild. Uh, no, I don't think that that's how it should be. Um, I like what you said there. I agree. Question number four, uh, end of the list here. Uh, saw this quote from an influential American preacher recently. Here's the quote. Um, and it's easy. It's 50, 50, you get it right or wrong, true or false. Okay. <laughs> and of course it, it <laughs> whether you got it right or wrong is wholly dependent on whether you agree with me, uh, cause I would be the standard here of what is right. Mm. right. No, maybe I, he didn't. Preachers, he, preachers never do things like that. No, he didn't give me an answer key. So how do I know? I guess I'll mm. have to think. Uh, quote, the first priority as a believer is to give the gospel to every lost person God places in their pathway each day, end quote. True or false? False. Agreed. <laughs> All right. If false, what things are a higher priority? Well, and that's kind of part part of the problem is it, it sees um, it sees the the Christian life um, as as a one two three like a set of um, graded prioritized actions. It's lazy, honestly. Um, it's 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 lazy to view the Christian life as just a list of priorities. Um, it's it's really it's small think. It's it's simplistic. Whereas I think glorifying the Lord by following him in each moment mm -hmm. is really the call on the Christian life, is to bring him glory by obeying what he wants me to do right now at this moment. And sometimes that might not be giving the gospel to that lost person in front of you. Sometimes right. it might be turning and dealing with your child and explaining to them why that interaction is a good object lesson for how you ought not to live your life. Um, <laughs> or any other number of things that you could be out and about doing to fulfill godly priorities. Uh, if, 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 if it was the first priority to do what this quote is saying, I don't see how anyone could function in life. This, that would be impossible to do. Mm -hmm. And it, to me, it's also very man-centered to view gospel evangelism that way, <clears throat> as if the salvation of souls depends on me entirely. You know, that the blood will be on my hands if I don't do exactly what this preacher is saying. Um, I, I think it's a very man-centered way to view gospel evangelism. Now, I would I would um, question this. I guess um, I should have questioned it before the answer, you know, is just to say, okay, what do you mean by, to give them the benefit of the doubt, what do you mean by give the gospel? Mm, do you mean good. Do you mean that I actually have to like go through a set number of verses and lead a man to a conversion every time I sense that, wait, I'm connected in some way with this guy, like I'm buying groceries from him or I'm whatever. Um, it does that it mean kind of reads that way, that that is how right. it reads. That would be my yeah. assumption. But 
to give them the benefit of the doubt, if they mean, you know, <laughs> maybe this is a real big benefit of the doubt, but if they mean, and I'm not, I'm not like a real, honestly, I'm not on the, the gospel centered bandwagon. Um, <laughs> it's funny, the gospel centered bandwagon. I need to write a book, the gospel centered bandwagon. Um, <laughs> cause there's like gospel centered everything, whatever. But, but if by that they mean live the gospel, like live in such a way as demonstrates the impact of the gospel on my life, thus being a light to them to draw them to the gospel. Well, sure, I should do that. Yeah, if it, and I, w- I would suspect that the gospel-centered folks would describe it that way. Yeah, yeah, I suspect that's what they mean. By that. Well, and I and I wouldn't um, necessarily disagree with them in that regard. That I sh- my life should be a representation of the effect of the gospel. Mm-hmm. But I think if you look at Jeremiah nine twenty three and twenty four, if you uh, really pour over Philippians chapter three, you're going to come. You're going to find that God thinks it is very, very, very important that you know Him. Mm-hmm. That you know Him. That uh, that will, of course, manifest itself in, in, a, in a variety of ways. It will produce fruit, and part of that fruit will be that the expression of that faith and, and, and a love of other people and how you yeah. convey that. So certainly that would be part of it. But, but Well, I um, think that that actually gels quite well. I think that, that our answers complement each other there because my answer was essentially that to glorify God by knowing what he wants you to do in every moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and your answer being knowing him is, a, is the highest priority. I, I think you can't have that without having the answer I gave. In other words, if, if you know God, like you're mm-hmm. saying, mm-hmm. then you know what he wants you to do in any moment right? You don't have to go open your Bible and check, <laughs> right? What do I do here? You know, you are in, in, in a sense in tune with the thinking of God by how well you know him. And a person like that will walk through life as Christ did, um, knowing what he would do if he were in your shoes at that very moment. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, I think, I think those answers complement each other. Good, good. Um, I would want to go a little further with it. We might just cut this short, but um, yeah, there's just there a lot could be said about that mentality. Um, now, I, I appreciated a man um, who several years ago helped me with, uh, if you will, the balance of evangelism in some ways to feel, you know, for, for a conscientious guy who feels the burden of everybody that they see at times you can feel this burden. Oh my goodness. They're, they, they could be lost. What, what, what could I do? You know, there's that guy walking into the gas station. Oh, there's that person, you know, standing on the side of the road and I, and I'm driving by slowly. Maybe I should say something. You know, oh, there's, there's this, there's that. What about, you know, what should I do? How could I influence? Um, you know, and just, you can be ready. Um, you can be ready to give the gospel. You can even make opportunities to give the gospel, um, mm-hmm. And then when an opportunity is there, you you just walk forward and you take it as far as it goes. And when the door closes, you're done. Yeah, and, and you're okay with that. But um, you don't have to necessarily be overstressed. And to to say to say to something like this, to give the gospel to every lost person who who God places in your pathway each day. Well, what does that mean? Places in my pathway. Um, and people that place in my pathway, I, yeah, I think about my, my parents, this is just something right off the top of my head. My parents, uh, they have neighbors. Um, well, they regularly interact with their neighbors. 
Uh, they'll have this one over to play games with and they'll take flowers over to this one and, and they'll, you know, interact with them. Does that mean every time, every time that they interact, uh, they, they need to give them the gospel again because, mm-hmm. you know, because they were in their pathway that day and their first priority is to give them the gospel. And so, well, how does that play out? And, and, and so for, for people who are genuinely really want to serve the Lord, you know, I don't know, maybe the preacher's thinking, I just need to really stir people up to share the gospel. Well, this is true, but what is the most effective way and what's the most uh, genuine uh, from the heart um, way of, of getting people to express their faith? Is it by uh, imposing an outward form to it? You know, or a list, or a whatever, or is it, or is it by seeing, causing them to see God, seeing an inward transformation that mm-hmm. can't help but, um, but uh, be uh, expressed in their, you know, communication. Yeah, yeah, and that's the difference between the whole debate that I don't know if it's still a big debate, but lifestyle evangelism versus confrontational evangelism. And <clears throat> I think what often would happen is those who were proponents of confrontational evangelism built up a straw man that basically, unless you are telling the tenets or points of the gospel, then you're one of those lifestyle evangelism people that think you don't have to explain the gospel in order to give the gospel to people. Well, no one, no one that I know of actually believes that you can give the gospel to someone without giving it to them. Um, I mean, that's kind of dumb, but that's what they would accuse people of who are saying what we're saying. Um, what we're saying is you don't have to give the gospel in every single interaction with them. You don't have to sit down and explain it to them verse by verse. You can, over time, build a trust and gain an influence and leave a little pebble in their shoe, in the words of Greg Kokel, right? Uh, that will influence them toward the gospel, remind them of that conversation and kind of, you know, poke the, their heel a little bit and say, wait a minute, I remember that, or I remember that, you know, so-and-so told me about that. And uh, what you're doing is giving them the gospel over time, as it were. Yeah. <clears throat> um, anyway. <laughs> Yeah, so much could be said there. I want to sure. um, I want to ask you a question that maybe you can just tease a little bit, and then we'll roll into the after show. Okay. Um, and it's uh, and James, thank you again for for the feedback here for questions to ponder. Good questions, enjoyed answering them. Yes, um, at least providing some thought. Um, uh, but you mentioned lifestyle evangelism, and maybe this is mm-hmm. too broad of a topic, but. What do you interpret as lifestyle evangelism? I mean, first of all, is that is that a negative thing, or, or I guess everybody puts their definitions to it. Was there any ever was there ever any such thing as lifestyle evangelism, or was it created by confrontational evangelists? Um, and uh, and what is it exactly? Well. Okay, so you're kind of asking me, in a sense, to disprove something by turning over every rock in the universe to see if it's right, there. Yeah, and, I, and I simply so just roll it into the after show. <laughs> no. <laughs> what? So, so for instance, you know, you know, God made our minds. Tom will solve every to, problem in the after uh, yeah. show. Just sign up to be an elite. There you go. <laughs> I do believe that God made the human mind with the ability to aggregate information. Um, In other words, we observe the world around us. We notice that some things are the same everywhere we go. And eventually our mind is able to make a shortcut to a conclusion based on having seen that same thing many times over again. Now, there are flaws 
in mental shortcuts. Those are known as heuristics. There's flaws in mental shortcuts because no, I haven't turned over every rock in the universe to see if lifestyle evangelism is a real thing as explained by the confrontational evangelists, right? However, in my own personal heuristic and those of many like me that I've spoken to on the subject, what we have observed is that there we've not come across anyone who really believes that explaining the gospel to someone could be done without explaining the gospel. And the old accusation of lifestyle evangelism was basically that, that they, they, they believe that you just live a good life, you know, based on, uh, where is it in Matthew, I think, where, where Jesus is let your light so shine uh, among men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. That basically I just live my good works in front of people and somehow they'll magically end up getting saved eventually. Well, no, that's not true. You are working your way towards eventually and hopefully explaining to them the gospel in bits and pieces and then eventually fully. Um, so I, I think it's just one among many straw men that uh, that folks in our movement have used. And, and I think uh, confrontational evangelists have often used that straw man to, uh, to great acclaim, unfortunately. <clears throat> My thought is that they maybe are touching on something. I just was looking at an article as you're talking here, uh, dealing with um, lifestyle evangelism. This is from gotquestions.org. And I, I really appreciate this site um, and the time that he's invested answering a lot of questions. But um, he said, uh, it's an evangelism strategy that focuses on living a holy, winsome life among unbelievers with the goal of attracting people to the message of Jesus Christ. And he says, many variations of this exist. Well, that's, of course, you know, because, mm -hmm. yeah. But the definitive resource is the book Lifestyle Evangelism by Joe Aldridge. So anyway, just to say that probably people do do this different ways, but to say, I'm sure that some could claim, well, well, I I believe in lifestyle evangelism, meaning I just, I just yeah. be a, a happy believer because I don't really want to take, I don't want to confront anybody because that would be too terrifying. Um, so I just, I just be happy not witnessing by yeah. by living a good life that people will notice. Okay, well, that would go too far in the direction of well, yeah, but coupled with that, of course, you would be verbally, you know, you could you could talk to friends yeah. about this kind of thing. Well, but living a winsome life to say, um, you know, to, to so that people see a difference. Well, I notice a peace and a joy about you, and your life is different. Your family is different. And what is it that you have that's different? Well, sure. that, that ought to be there too. So yeah, well, and that's why I guess if that book that was referenced on Got Questions, if that's considered the definitive book on lifestyle evangelism, I would be curious to read that and see if anywhere in the book he does conclude that the goal is to give them the gospel in word at some point. If yeah, that's the goal yeah. and that's the definitive book on lifestyle evangelism, then straw man defeated. I mean, it's, it's essentially over the whole debate is over. Um, if, if that's, if that's what the guy who wrote the book on lifestyle evangelism believes. So I'd be curious to see how it concludes. <laughs> so, but, um, all right, well, we're going to uh, transition now to our after show and thank you so much for listening. Again, if you have a question, you have uh, a take on something that we've said, uh, yay or nay, up or down uh, from a different angle, just feel free to uh, send us that feedback at reasontogetherpodcast at gmail.com.
Yeah, good. Uh, before we go real quick, I often like to promote things that uh, I really appreciate. And I know I've mentioned him before on this podcast, and that is Nathaniel Brown uh, of the Exempla podcast. Oh, yeah. And he just had an episode that I thought was maybe my favorite one yet. It was on Arthur Conan Doyle's fairies. Um, and he brings it around to, well, I don't want to spoil it, but (laughs) I don't want to spoil it, but go over to uh, whatever your favorite podcast player app is and search for Exempla, E-X-E-M-P-L-A. It's by Nathaniel Brown. Uh, I've never met him in person. I I think some of my relatives know him personally, but I don't know him personally, but I've appreciated this work. And the most recent episode uh, released on January 6th, uh, a little bit ago, was just a fantastic episode. It'll make you think. It'll it'll c- capture your attention with a great story. Uh, go listen to Exempla. And then the other thing I wanted to, to kind of help promote, um, <clears throat> and this is weird. I've maybe never promoted something like this before, uh, but only because uh, there. I've heard through the grapevine that this pastor that owns this place in Iowa, it's a, he 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 supports himself um, in the ministry. Um. By he owns a gun store, a gun shop, and he, he sells those, and that's how he helps support himself. It's called Soap Creek Armory. It's in Iowa, and I had heard, I think it was through one of their social media outlets <clears throat> at some point, I heard through the grapevine that they were closed down by the government over something. And I guess in, in, in a lot of ways, my heart goes out to him because he's a pastor just trying to support himself, and the government has made it harder than ever for guys who are FFL, that's Federally Firearmed Licensed Dealers. Uh, it's made it hard for them to to subsist. Hmm. And uh, the man, the man is a pastor. He serves the Lord. And and if you live in the area there, look him up online. It's soapcreekarmory.com. If you wanted to go help support him, I'd encourage you to try to do that. Or maybe if you if you if you live somewhere else and you want to see if they're selling something online and they can ship it to your FFL, that might be something they can arrange as well. But um, you know, I, I like to try and help if I can. I know we don't have a huge audience, but I'm trying to do what I can for for a pastor here. So great, and thank you for listening. We're encouraging balance, developing perspective, and connecting faith to practice. This is Reason Together.